everybody, and welcome back to my podcast, Christian in Progress. My name is Samuel Perez, and just a little bit about myself, I am a former gay stripper. Yep, that's right, you heard that correctly. (laughs) I left behind the homosexual lifestyle to walk with Christ, and this podcast is all about how I do it, why I do it, and to help others like me, and educate those that aren't like me. I want to talk, but I really want to talk and be real about a life with Jesus and what that looks like in 2020. Nothing is off limits, and I want to be as transparent as I possibly can be. So before we get started, I want to let everyone know that this podcast is completely free to listen to, and we do accept donations, and we have some awesome rewards and gifts for those who want to become patrons of the podcast. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Podbean, click on the description and you'll find the link to become a patron of the podcast which means you'll be making a regular monthly commitment. And we also have my link tree where you can find resources to give through PayPal, Venmo, or Cash Shop. On today's episode, we have the wonderful Taylor Simon Maxwell. <laughs> how are you doing, man? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. It's been a day. It's, <laughs> I've been napping all day, but I'm so glad to be able to be doing this podcast with you. Same, I'm excited. Awesome. Okay, so I brought Taylor on the show because he just recently wrote a book. Um, I actually found out about him on a Facebook page where um, it's a collective of different individuals who have actually left the homosexual lifestyle or who have experienced same-sex attraction in their life. And so I decided to send him a message. And um, I didn't didn't even know that he had finished his book, (laughs) that he had finished writing it. And when I messaged him, he, he told me that he had, and so I bought a copy of it for myself. But I was more interested in um, his life. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself, Taylor, where you grew up and all that jazz? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I just turned 29 this Saturday. I'm almost done with my 20s, you know. But um, I was born and raised in California, and I had a, a good childhood. I was... Um, actually never raised in a Christian household. I was actually raised in a Jewish household. Um, so I grew up going to Hebrew school and Sunday school, and I had a bar mitzvah when I was 13, which is essentially, a, for those who aren't familiar, a coming-of-age ceremony for, um, for uh, young men in the Jewish faith. And I... So I didn't grow up with the gospel or um, the Christian faith at all, but when I was in the eighth grade, I heard the gospel message for the first time because I should actually back up a little bit. So my um, parents were going to send me to a private school that was Christian, even though we were Jewish. And <laughs> the reason they did that was because the public school that I would have gone to wasn't, they didn't really want me to go there. So they thought, you know what, this Christian private school, it's really close to where we live. We might as well check it out. And so, long story short, we ended up going and falling absolutely in love with it. And my parent, and long story short, I got in and I ended up going there in seventh grade. And my Jewish parents kind of just told me to ignore the Christian part, or essentially, you know, you'll be exposed to a new religion; it'll be good for you. So I didn't. So I didn't really go into it thinking much of it. But what ended up happening was. For 7th and 8th grade, two years, I went through this battle of wondering what I wanted to believe. Because at night, 
And in my home life, I was being told that Judaism was the true faith, but yet I was going to school and taking Bible classes and hearing the gospel message for the first time and reading out of the New Testament for the first time. So it really, um, the Lord really began to speak to me in junior high and said, I am who the word says I am. Jesus is the Messiah promised to, promised to the world. And so I remember at the very end of eighth grade, it was May 23rd, 2006. I, I remember like where I was sitting, it was an outdoor chapel. It was like a hundred degrees. I was drenched in sweat. And I just remember someone got on stage and, or at the front of the podium and said, um, started praying. And I just said, all right, God, I believe. And I gave my life to Jesus that day. That's so awesome, man. Yeah. And what were your parents like? Um, did, were they, um, I, I, I forget the term, um, Orthodox Jewish? Or, or they were kind of just like a Jewish where they don't um, follow all the laws and stuff? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I would say that the Judaism that I followed in the synagogue that I went to was more of like a liberal Judaism. Um, we were taught things like um, hell wasn't real, that everyone went to heaven. Um, we were taught that stories like Noah's Ark, um, those weren't actual literal events that happened, that they were just oh, like, wow. um, just nice little kid stories that we could learn good life lessons from. So it was very, um, very, very liberal. It's, it was not orthodox or anything like that, no. And what were you feeling like during that time? <clears throat> because I know specifically me for, as a child, I knew that I was definitely different growing up mm -hmm. um, as a boy. Yes. I was sensitive and um, I liked the other little boys more than I liked um, the girls. Um, when did you really start to feel like, oh, I'm maybe a little bit different than the other boys? Um, was that later on in middle school or like from a child? Absolutely. So I would definitely say that it's been my whole life since I was a little kid. Um, I mean, and it's crazy because when you're a child, you don't really, you don't realize it. But now that I'm, you know, 29, looking back on my childhood, I'm like, wow, you know, um, I never really connected with the boys in elementary school. Um, I always was playing with the girls at home. I was given Barbies to play with and dresses to wear. And so I was being feminized and, you know, you go to school and then you're bullied by the boys and then the boys become your enemy. And I don't, I don't think I felt safe with the boys, but when I hung out with the girls, well, they play with the same toys I play with and they don't make fun of me and they don't bully me. Well, boys, are, boys aren't safe, girls are safe. And so yeah. I think um, definitely that was in like my elementary school years. But I would say for me, when it comes to like the homosexual struggle, that vividly, I vividly remember that starting in the fourth grade when I was 10 years old. And essentially, you know, it didn't start off as a lust or an attraction or anything like that because I still wasn't at that point, I wasn't a, a sexual being. I hadn't gone through puberty yet, but I, re I remember... Um, having a sexual thought and it kept coming into my mind and it was me and another classmate doing a sexual act together but it wasn't actually us having sex but it was sexual in nature and I remember I kept thinking of this this thought over and over again and and being really disturbed by it you know why why am I thinking this why why would and I and I believe that, that was definitely a seed planted from the enemy because um, mm -hmm. I never would have ever thought in a million years that I would have, I would never have wanted that. Why would a 10 year old boy, boy be thinking of those things? And I think it's interesting because up until that point in my life in elementary school, like I didn't really have any idea of what homosexuality was. Like my, mm -hmm. my mind was, um, I'm a boy. And when I grow up, 
boys end up with girls. And so like I remember being in first, second, third grade and having crushes on girls. And I had like a fake little wedding ceremony on the playground. <laughs> like, so in my mind, it was like, that's what you do if you're a boy, you end up with girls. And so that's, that's that seed planted in the 10th grade of that thought, um, I, I think kind of just lingered there. And then that, as junior high came along, um, I think I was still struggling, but it was very minute. I'm going through puberty um, and then discovering masturbation. Yeah. How did your parents react to all of this? Like, um, were your parents anti-gay? Did they have friends who were gay? Was that something you were scared of even talking about? Like, what what was, how did uh, Judaism and homosexuality mix, like, in, in your household? Absolutely. So, interestingly enough, in Judaism... At least, like I said, it was a liberal. It was a liberal um, synagogue that I went to. Um, from a few people that I had heard from, that we were taught that homosexuality was okay. So I think it was more accepted. Um, it was definitely accepted by my parents. Um, but obviously, what one of the things that drew me to Christ was reading this, reading the Word, and seeing that homosexuality was indeed wrong. And I think for me. I wasn't I didn't feel condemned by reading those things. It gave me so much hope because I mm. thought, oh my gosh, if what I'm feeling is wrong, then this God, this Jesus, this person in this this Bible, maybe they can help me. And oh my goodness, has he helped me? <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah. Okay, so you you move into junior high. Um you said that you accepted Jesus while you were in um middle school, yes. right? And you move on to junior high and you start to um, experience all these things like porn and masturbation. And what, what was that like, if you can continue? Yeah, so um, it's kind of blurry a little bit when it comes to like what came first. I definitely know masturbation came first, but because um, I'm trying to remember, I think for me, I would say in junior high, after I had that moment in 10th grade where that thought was coming to my mind, what ended up happening after that was um, I remember being like in the locker room and noticing again it wasn't a sexual attraction or lust it was just beginning to notice that the other boys had bodies that I didn't have they had muscles that I didn't have Um, they were all so much more masculine than I had and and that's really rooted in insecurity you know and I think for me what really solidified my homosexual struggle was the summer after eighth grade. Interestingly enough, I gave my life to Jesus and the enemy came full force. And Mm. I had a bunch of money that I had saved up from my bar mitzvah. If you want to get rich, have a bar mitzvah. (laughs) (laughs) Your relatives will come and give you money that you didn't even know about. But um, it's crazy because the money that I had from a celebration that was meant to initiate me into manhood ended up destroying me because I took that money and I went out and I bought my first laptop and this was back in the this was back in the early 2000s when like internet access was still like a big thing and i remember being in my bedroom and having the internet access for the first time and temptation creeping in and thinking wow i have the whole internet at my fingertips and that progressed into watching um homosexual pornography and that that completely i think at that point for me I wouldn't even say that I was sexually attracted to men or necessarily lustful entirely for men, but the second pornography entered my life, 
I, I became a, a, a burning a burning house fire and I couldn't get enough. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that because same thing um, for me. Like I, I remember when I was in eighth grade, eighth grade is when I really started to um, kind of focus more on um, my sexuality. I ended up falling falling in love with like, well, falling, <laughs> falling into infatuation with a boy in school. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember having all these feelings all at once and also going to my room and then going online and then going to Google and then just Googling like boys shirtless or like mm. boys naked, you know, like, or men, you know, not boys yep. my age, but men. And, um, and then going on the porn sites and then just seeing it all for the first time and just thinking to myself, oh my gosh, like, I don't know if I like this. Like, this is so weird. Like, everything about it is so weird. But then the more um, the more I was exposed to it, the more I saw it, the more my mind was like, well, this is kind of what you like. So, you know, just kind of accept it. It was, it was really, it was a very strange time. So I, I totally relate to you when you're talking about those types of things. I, I feel you. All right. So then how, how did this connect with God? Like now you've just accepted Jesus. Um, you're walking in Christianity. You've also left behind Judaism. Um, how, how are all these things like coming into play with your relationship with Jesus? So I knew before I came to Jesus that before I gave my life to Jesus, that homosexuality was wrong but yet I was still struggling with it. And I think at that point in my faith, I was still very immature. And I think there was a part of me that still wondered, well, maybe it's not wrong because, you know, the lust was so, the lust was continuing to get so much more powerful the more I engaged in this, in pornography, masturbation and and fantasizing, et cetera. And so that initial jolt of all that was, it was hard to, um, to reconcile it. But at the same time, I knew that the Bible said it was wrong and I was a follower of Christ and I was really um, trying to please the Lord as a freshman, sophomore in high school. And I, uh, I knew that sex was designed between a man and a woman and um, was for marriage. And I accepted that regardless of what I was struggling with. Um, and so I kind of just said, okay, well, I'll just, you know, I think I, I essentially just decided like, I'm just going to struggle with this in secret. And it'll be my dirty little secret that I keep. And I'm just the Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction and lust. And, and I'll just kind of keep it in the background and no one will ever know about it. And um, I'll never actually fully be a gay man and come out um, because I'm a follower of Christ. And so that, um, I think that was kind of my initial almost decision. Mm-hmm. Was to, so you a- didn't, at this point, you didn't tell anyone anything no pastors no friends it was just like your biggest biggest secret absolutely yeah so i i kept i kept my homosexual struggle a secret for 15 years mm-hmm. the only person i told in my my life in that 15 year um time span was my mom i made a few like minor comments to her like in the late elementary junior high days I occasionally would say, you know, like, mom, are people born gay? Or, um, you know, what do you, what does it mean to be um, straight? You know, just asking kind of curious questions. Um, And I think I might have told her once, like, I'm not sure what I am, you know. But after that, we never discussed it. And I think on top of that, um, you know, at the time, my mother wasn't a believer. Um, So she she actually gave her life to Jesus. So she's not Jewish anymore. Uh, throw that in That's there. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. Praise God. But, you know, at the time she did tell me, um, 
that people are born gay. And so as a small, confused child, you know, I had that seed planted. And I don't think she meant any harm at all, but, you know, that's what she, that's what she believes, you know. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, so then you decide, okay, this is my big secret. I don't want to tell anyone about it. Um, this is what the Bible says, that it is indeed wrong, and so I shouldn't even try to give any thought to it. But then you have all these things that are happening inside of yourself. You, you've been linked to pornography. And now you graduate high school and you feel like a calling on, on, on your life from God. Like what, what was your calling that, you did, that God was really pressing on you? After high school? Yeah. Um, I think for me, I graduated high school and I went to college. I've always been a super creative person. Um, like ever since I was a little kid, like when I was in elementary school, I would get all the kids together on the playground and like, you know, direct them and like into little like plays and stuff. And I would do that (laughs) in elementary school. We would read like, um, you know, those chicken soup for the soul books. We would like read those in class and then reenact. Like I would direct all the kids into like reenact scenes. And um, I've always been a very artistic person. Like I love doing theater and dance. I did gymnastics for like 15 years. Um, So I always dreamt of doing something creative. And originally when I went off to college, I was a film major and ended up falling in love with reading and writing and realized actually I want to be a writer. So I changed my major to English uh, with an emphasis in creative writing and not really sure entirely what I was going to do with that, but I just knew that I wanted to write and I wanted to potentially write novels um, because that's there's nothing else on this earth that I can imagine myself doing. Like it's just gives me so much passion and so much excitement to write. And um, it was the fall of 2015. It was my final semester of college. And at this point, I still hadn't told anybody. This was my dark secret that I was keeping behind closed doors. And the Lord spoke to me in the fall of 2015. He said, Taylor, you're gonna write a book about homosexuality. And I said, no, I'm not. (laughs) I instantly was like, there's no way, God, that I can write a book about homosexuality. I'm like, it's my deepest secret. And at the time I was struggling with this, like in a major, in major ways. So I just thought, God, I'm so unqualified. There's just, I'm, I'm just so unqualified. How can you expect me to write a book when I'm dying on the inside, literally? And once I agreed to write this book, um, the Lord then spoke and said, okay, before you start writing, I want you to read your whole entire Bible. And so I read from Genesis to Revelation, and I took so many notes. Anything that stood out to me about marriage, sexuality, and that was in order to prepare the, the writing process. Interestingly enough, during that year span, I haven't really told many people this, but during that year span, there were two times where I started getting really antsy and was like wanting to start writing this book. And both times I was overcome with lust. And the Lord was like, you're not ready yet. I told you you were supposed to prepare by reading your whole entire Bible. And so it took about a year. And then when I finished reading my whole Bible, God said, I said, okay, God, is it time to start writing it now? He said, okay, one more task. You need to tell someone. And I Mm. was like, oh my gosh, like so scared. You know, 15 years of secrecy and shame and embarrassment and um, worthlessness just 
bottled up inside and God was finally saying, you can't carry this with you anymore. If you're going to write this book and be obedient to me, you have to get free from this secret because it's destroying you. You can't fully operate in what I'm calling you to if you have this inside of you. The enemy still has this chain on you. And so I ended up telling my best friend, um, he was my first male best friend, which is important to know because I had never had male friends growing up. And in my early 20s, I met this incredible um, guy at my church, um, same age as me. We went to high school together, never talked once. And then <laughs> we like reconnected in, high, in college. Um, and then, you know, now he's like one of my best friends. And, I, and we sat in a park and I just like cried for hours and told him. I couldn't even, I was so ashamed and so overwhelmed by the experience. I couldn't even say like, I struggle with homosexuality. I couldn't even formulate a sentence. I just said homosexuality in the midst of just like snuffling and crying and he just looked at me and said I will never see you any differently with whatever you're struggling with and that just was like that just melted my heart and I just knew that gave me the courage to finally get free wow and that's incredible I mean having like I I was only and I can only speak for myself but I was only in the closet per se um, up until I was 15 years old or something like that. Um, and then I told my mom and it came out of me like word vomit. It was like <laughs> something I, yeah. I, I needed to say. It was, I remember just feeling so much um, shame. I remember feeling so much guilt. I remember feeling like, oh, this is the worst thing in the entire world. So during those years of just like hiding um, and not sharing and maybe I don't even know if you were honest about it to God like how was that time like um, watching the pornography and knowing that you had that attraction and and what were your prayers like what was your relationship with Jesus like during that time um, what were you, what was your relationships to the church community like um, having to keep that all inside yeah so I didn't I looking back like on my high school years as a teenager I think my mentality when it came to my homosexual struggle was I'll deal with it when I'm older you know it's just kind of like a fly on my ear and I just kept kind of going like that you know wiping it away I'll I'll deal with it when I'm older and um I didn't see any change in my homosexual struggle until I was in my early 20s and that was because it was in my early 20s that God finally said, enough is enough. We got to deal with this. Um, so I lived my, you know, high school, teenage years um, entirely struggling with this. And even though I was walking with the Lord um, and God was changing me in other areas, the homosexual struggle was on the back burner, you know. Yeah. And that's really interesting because, I mean, Having to carry that around, even I, I only bring it up because I know that there are some people out there who are going to be listening to this podcast, who are going to be watching this video, and they are dealing with that. Like they're dealing with, oh my goodness, I can't tell anyone. Um, this is like such a big deal. Um, and so, what would your like advice be to them? Like, how how what do you think would be the first step in finding um, liberation from all the things that they're feeling on the inside? surrendering to Christ. I mean, yeah. that's honestly, you know, even before you tell someone, it's first tell God. You know, he already knows, but he wants you to surrender it to him. And I think, I think the biggest issue, especially given the times we're living in, is that 
somebody who's who's young and who's struggling with same-sex attraction and lust and same-sex um, homosexual desires, our culture is telling them that those are good things and that you should embrace them. And I think it takes so much humility to stand before God and die to yourself. That's what the scriptures say. They say, the scriptures tell us that we're supposed to die to ourselves. It doesn't matter if it feels good. It doesn't matter even if you don't understand why it's wrong. You're like, you know what, God, you say it's wrong, so it'll be wrong for me too. I mean, it's like a little child, you know, a little child might get, you know, a paper clip and be sticking it in a wall socket. And he might not know why it's dangerous, but his, his, his parent comes running over and says, no, son, don't do that. And he says, okay, dad, I won't do it. Obviously, because the father showed concern for him, he knows that it was wrong. He might not know why it's wrong, but he, he submits to his father's guidance and his authority. And so I think that's the first step. It's surrendering it to God and, and, and saying, you know what, God, I don't know why I'm attracted to my own gender. I don't know why I didn't develop attractions for girls like all the other guys that I'm going to school with or the, those that I'm with church with. I don't know why I'm struggling with these desires but I know that you're good and you're going to get me through it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I love that because, you know, this podcast is called Christian in Progress. So there are some people who they become Christian and then they're kind of just like, oh, well, I thought like the minute that I accepted Jesus mm. Christ, that everything was going to become perfect, that I was going to become sinless or I wouldn't have to deal with these big sins that um, are spoken about um, so heavily uh, in church and stuff like that like we become these new creations and we do but um like what does that process look like of becoming that new creation like for some people it is um like right on time like for some people it is quick and um you get delivered or you know whatever you never have to struggle with that part of yourself ever again but for some people it's a process so when i, I get a bunch of messages from people all over the world who are telling me, yeah, I've never told anyone about this. I've never even done anything about it. But these are the feelings that I'm, 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 I'm experiencing. And I think like you nailed it like right perfectly where, where you said it's just like surrender it first to Christ and then allow him to work through that. And I think one of the most important things is that anything in our life can be an idol too. Like anything in our life can be an idol. And I think that people don't necessarily think that love can be an idol but love or what we think our idea of love can be an idol because we've put it before god so these feelings um when we say oh my gosh this is something that i've been thinking about or i've been putting before god or i just can't like release it like it has its hold on me um releasing that idol to the lord releasing that same-sex attraction to him and saying hey i want to surrender this allow me to go through the process that you need me to go through so that i can i can Es escape this and I can really live in um, peace I can live without that in the back of my head um, haunting me uh, something that I just don't want and th and that's not I'm not propagating like that um, if you're gay and you, and you 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 want to be gay go ahead you know go be gay I'm talking about Christians who are they don't want these feelings they have unwanted um, sex same-sex attraction and they don't think that it's possible to change so how, how do you think your healing process and in writing the book, because the book, uh, to bring the book into all of this, the book is all about essentially my life. <laughs> it's just, I was just joking <laughs> with you earlier the first time we had a conversation because when you described the book, 
it was like almost like my life but except on the western like on the west coast so (laughs) tell me a little bit about why you think god asked you to write this book about homosexuality and what it's about and how it can help people like uh like you and me absolutely so i think um for me you know, the first reason why I think I wrote it was just to be obedient to God because he asked me to and not really knowing what he was going to do um, in my life because I wrote it and, or, and not even knowing what he was going to do with the book to help others potentially. So I think the first thing was definitely obedience to God. And then um, interestingly enough, I think in the writing process, God has totally used the writing process to kind of take me back and take a hard look at my own life. And something that I wanted to kind of hint on earlier or to, uh, go back on earlier that you mentioned um, about what would you say to somebody who's struggling? I would say first, the first step is obedience, but the, or excuse me, surrender. First is surrendering to Christ. But the second is, a rela- after you surrender, it's, it's about walking with Christ. Yes. And it's a relationship. And something that God has done is he has been my counselor, like straight up, my therapist. And once you surrender the struggle, what God is going to begin to do in your life is he's going to begin to show you the whys. Because everybody wants to, and this ties into my book and even into the title, The Desire Tree, because I use the image of, I don't want to give spoilers away, but you know, this isn't giving a spoiler away, but I use the (laughs) image of a tree to describe the homosexual struggle. And a lot of people want to pray the gay away. And I understand the pain that comes from, from, from that prayer, but what people don't understand is that that's actually a very ignorant prayer because what you're not understanding is that attraction and lust are just symptoms of something deep in your soul, something that's not going on right in your soul. And so the way I kind of paint it is that when you look at a tree, you don't see the roots. You just see the, the trunk and you see the branches and you see the leaves. And so that represents the part you see, which is the attraction and the lust. But when you go down into the roots, the roots is what give those things life. The, root is, the roots are what makes those attractions possible, what makes those lusts possible. And so what God did in my own life and what he did for, you know, what he does for the character in my book's life, Christopher, is he begins to reveal what those roots are. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of men and women who are struggling with homosexuality they don't allow God to take them on that journey of figuring out what those roots are. Like, what went wrong in my childhood? Like, ask yourself those questions. What happened to me, God, that has caused me to feel these things? Because he didn't, yeah. he, he weren't born that way. Something, God intended for you to be a heterosexual being. Something happened. Um, and, and it's different for everybody. Not everybody's story is cookie cutter. Some people have been... Yeah. You know, I've heard stories of men who were exposed to extremely graphic pornography at a young age, and it just disturbed them. You know, a a young child's mind cannot comprehend that. A five or six-year-old, it's like, you don't even know what, like, sexual nudity is. And so to see that, it's traumatic. And I've heard stories of men and women who've been sexually assaulted and raped, and that caused a lot of trauma and confusion. Um, Yeah. And it's also, like, something that you just said, which was so cool— um, it's it's also like you, you had said that many men, they don't allow God or men and women, they don't allow God to take them on the journey of figuring out what's wrong. But some people are just they're just so scared 
that they're gonna find exactly what they know they're gonna find because some people's desires is I want this for my life like some people they don't want things to change even though they know that it's wrong they just don't want things to change and I've, I've felt that so many times especially for for me I, I was just talking about this with a friend a couple of days ago I had a folder on my computer that was labeled gay research because <laughs> I was a Christian and I wanted to know what the Bible said about being gay. I wanted to know if it was really wrong in the Bible, you know, um, or if people were just making it up. And I had I had any article that I found about ex-gay conversions and anything that was just weird to me, I would put it all in that folder. And I'd be like, one day I'm going to I'm gonna look in that folder. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend time. Like I'm gonna do the research. I'm gonna open up my Bible. But I knew that the minute that I did that would be the minute that I would have to accept the truth because deep down I knew the truth. Some people they don't know. They don't have a Christian upbringing, so they don't even know the truth. But a lot of people are just scared. They're really scared that okay, I have to confront this, and I'm gonna have to confront it with God. And our flesh is always the first thing to say no. Our flesh is always the first thing to say. No, don't spend time with God. Don't look for the answers that you're looking for. So I, I, even even in conversations that I've had with other men who are um, gay or struggling with same-sex attraction, um, well, not so much struggling, but they've accepted that they've had same-sex attraction, is that whenever we bring up the Bible or whenever we bring up God, it's like there's just a wall there. There's just like a wall. They've put up a wall. They're like, I don't want to know anything about it. Like the minute they start talking about it, it's like, but what about this? And they try to disprove this and they try to disprove that. And it's like, we're not even talking about those things. I'm talking about a God who loves you. I want to, I want to, I want to talk about a God who um, wants to take you on a journey of, okay, who he made you to be. But some people have just that wall up, you know, just like they don't want to go through that journey. And so I, I love the fact that you said that, but continue on on what you're saying. I mean, I was just, that just makes me think, I mean, when I think of those people that you just described, I mean, I just would almost, I, I just would almost just, I just want to say like, I get it. Like I, I've been there. I know what it's like to be 100% consumed by lust. Like it is like a fire that literally consumes your whole body from head to toe and that tunnel vision and that just, you have to get to that sexual immoral act or that destination. Like I get it. I know what it's like to struggle with depression and suicidal thoughts. I know what it's like to feel like you're the only one in a room when it's crowded. Like I know what it's like to be in a room full of other men and feel like you'll never, you will never measure up to any of them. I know what it's like to hear guys talk about how hot a girl is and you're looking at the girl and you're like, I don't get it. I don't yeah, understand I, why are they attracted to her and not, why wouldn't they be attracted to guys? And then you look at the guys like, so I would say to that, that person who's, who's listening to this, like, if that's you, I get it. And I can just promise you, I promise you, I know it's scary, but if you surrender to Christ, you will not regret it. Yeah. And it, it's so crazy because I think one of the main things is that people they they have an idea of what god wants for them like a lot of people think like oh well if if god like if i turn to god then i have to be heterosexual then i have to get married then i have to live this life and i just don't feel like i'll ever live that life and and that's kind of like the the lie that's been given by the church it's just like the solution is heterosexuality yeah um that god wants us to be married and it's like, I didn't read anywhere in the no. Bible where Jesus said, hey, yeah, guys, I, I want you to be married. 
He said the opposite. Mm -hmm. He said, devote yourselves completely unto me. I want you completely. That's what I want. Matthew, you know, Matthew uh, talks about this, the gospel of Matthew. And so I I think like that's also another thing. But how does your character in the book, because I, I want you to describe a little bit of the book for the audience so that they can see how amazing it is and how you've kind of created a fictional um, book, right? It's fiction. Yes. <laughs> Okay, I, I always forget. I'm like nonfiction and fiction. I never remember which one is a fake one and which one is a real one. <laughs> like okay. since I was a little boy. But um, I want some people, they love fiction. They mm. love reading books like Twilight. They love reading books like, I don't even know, Mad Max. And I'm not sure if that's a book. <laughs> you can tell I don't read <laughs> fiction. <laughs> I'm not a reader. I think that's I, a if movie. Any, <laughs> if, if anything, I, I love um, autobiographies. Okay. I love like nonfiction. I'm a huge nonfiction reader and textbooks and all that stuff. But some people love to read this stuff. So how, what, is, what is the story of the character? Is he closeted like you? What, what, what basically goes on in the story? Yeah, so... Um... My work, it, it, the novel, The Desire Tree, is a work of fiction, so it's not, it's not based off a real, actual living human. Um, and so the story follows um, the protagonist, Christopher Stone, and he's 18 years old, and he was born and raised in Ohio. He comes from a really kind of broken household. His father's not really in the picture and never really has been. His father, you know, goes off and is, is living his own life. Um, he has a really difficult relationship with his mother, and he isn't closeted. He he essentially accepts that he's gay, and I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but essentially what happens is, is he decides that when he graduates high school, he's going to move to San Francisco. And so when the novel starts, that's where we meet him. We meet him a year after he's lived in San Francisco. And essentially that cha that first chapter is his life is in shambles. He's suicidal, depressed. Everything he thought he was going to find in the homosexual life when he left Ohio, he doesn't find any of it. And in a final, chapter one is, you know, him at his complete rope's end and ready to end his life. And he doesn't really believe in God, um, but he does cry out to God one last time, like, I'm going to kill myself God, if you're real, you know, this is it. Like, you get one more chance, God, and something happens. And I don't want to give too much away, but he takes what happens, and he has to decide if it was really God or if it was more just wishful thinking. That's incredible. And that's why I was joking a little bit about how that <laughs> this book is kind of like my life story because <laughs> there's so many similarities. But that's so cool. So if you guys um, want to read Taylor's book, um, I really highly suggest it. I'm not a fiction person and I want to read this book, so I'm going to read this book. Um, I just ordered it, so it just got to my house. But um, how do you think, like, for example, now living and writing this book and having this relationship with the Lord, w where is your same-sex attraction now? Because that's a huge question that I get, is people always ask me that, okay, well, well, are you gay now? Like, do you still experience same-sex attraction? Like. What do you think God thinks about those things? So for you specifically, like kind of where is your journey right now after writing the book and, and experiencing that? Um, so I will say, you know, it wasn't an overnight thing. I didn't give my life to Jesus and all my attractions and all my lusts and all my porn and all, all my struggles just went away like that. It is a journey. You know, it's, it's a relationship with Christ. There isn't a, de it's, it's not a destination. It is a journey. But what I will say is that 
when God got a hold of my life, or excuse me, got a hold of my homosexual, essentially got a hold of my life, but got a hold of my homosexual struggle in my early 20s and really began to address it in my life, I would say that throughout my 20s, God began to heal me. And through that healing, he began to show me, like I said earlier, the whole therapist analogy. He really began to show me the whys of my brokenness and a lot of things that happened in my childhood and in my household. And he essentially became, because the, the, the thing about homosexuality is that it's like an umbrella. It's uh, on, on like a macro level, it's a masculinity issue. And for me within that macro issue was wanting the masculinity that I never got growing up but also wanting the masculinity that I didn't believe I had myself. And so it was a lot of insecurity and a lot of emptiness. And I can say now at 29 that um, through years and years of um, walking with the Lord, I now stand completely free of homosexual lust, attraction, and desire. I have absolutely no attraction to men, and God has completely set me free from that. Right now, though, I'm kind of like in this place of kind of nothingness. Like I kind of feel like I'm floating. Um, And it's kind of nice. I have a piece that I've never had before where I look at men and I'm not attracted to them like I used to be. But I also don't look at women and find them attractive. I'm kind of almost, I have almost no sexuality at this point in my life. Like I'm just living in this piece of, okay, God, this is where you've brought me. And it's... uh pretty incredible. I continue to um, journey with God and every day is a new battle, but I'm not alone. And so that's definitely been the most encouraging thing for me. Glory to God. That's so good. (laughs) And I really love that too, because I feel like people, they just want to label, they they just want to label, okay, you're gay, you're heterosexual, you're asexual, you know, but I think like, I think what you're experiencing right now is just like, you've given your sexuality to the Lord, so now you can experience Him in His fullness. I also receive a lot of messages where people are telling me, oh, I'm older now, and my husband has left, or they've died, or you know, or whatever. I never married, um, never found the right person, and I've devoted myself completely to the Lord. And I think that scares people a lot. But when I tell you that Jesus is enough, like He really is enough, like I spent my whole um Uh, basically my childhood, my teen years, uh, a little bit of my 20s thinking, I need to get married, like I need a significant other, like I'll never be happy if I don't have um, someone around me, traveling with me, doing things with me, taking vacations, you know, I thought, oh, I need this, I need this, I need to be married, I need a significant other. And now to the point where I am that I travel by myself, I love doing things by myself, like, if anything, the only people that I need in my life are my church community. Are And I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about people like you, people like my friends, um, people from all over the world, people in Romania. You know, These are individuals that are believers in Christ, and they fulfill those desires that maybe I'll never get from a spouse. And I don't really want one either, you know, unless things change later on in the future. But people think it's like, oh, I either have to get married or like, I don't know, there's just like this obsession in our culture with just not wanting to be alone. And it's like, when you meet Jesus, you don't, you don't, you're not alone anymore. Like you, you get to walk with Jesus every single day and he becomes everything. Like I get to go to the gym and I have a friend right next to me. Is he visible? No. 
Can I hear him all the time? No, but I know he's there. When I leave the gym, I get in my car. Gym is like the only place I can go to. <laughs> I spend the majority of my time alone at home. But <laughs> when I get in my car, I know he's there. When I'm home, I know he's there. When I'm doing this, I know he's there. So it's like I'm never really alone, and he fulfills and satisfies me the more I read the word, the more I praise him, the more I worship, the more um, prayer I go in conversations like this. You know, so... I think it's wonderful where you're at and the fact that you are no longer struggling with any type of attraction, neither towards women and towards men, that's totally believable. That's 100% believable because I know that it's not always the case for everyone. I meet a lot of men who are just like, I've, I've given myself to the Lord and I still am dealing with lust. But I've also met a lot, I've met a lot of men who I've given themselves to the Lord and they've gone on and married women. And then I meet men like me who are just kind of just like in the in-between. It just like, I, I, none of those things matter to me. I just want Jesus, you know? So I love that. And I love that your book explores all these very hard issues in a fiction format so that it's enjoyable. Because some people, they want to read um, like fiction. I just had a comment on YouTube the other day, somebody asking me if it was okay to read um, a, a book about same-sex attraction, um, a couple who they are same-sex um a same-sex couple and i was like "Eh, i don't think so like maybe just stick to reading the bible (laughs) so some people they want the desire to read fiction but there's nothing out there for them so i would say for the people who are listening or the people who are watching the video go pick up a copy of taylor's book support something that is christian support something that is tackling an issue that nobody wants to talk about and make it Amazon's number one bestseller <laughs> so that we can make it clear, that we can make it known. There are people out there like me and Taylor who have said no to the homosexual lifestyle, who have said yes to Jesus, most importantly, um, that we've made Jesus our everything. We've made his word our everything. So anything else that you want to say, Taylor, anything at all, just like about this podcast or about your life or things that we've let, let out? Oh, my gosh. Well, this podcast is awesome. I'm so grateful that you've invited me on to on here to speak. <laughs> You're welcome, man. I love I love having guests, like especially people who deal with same sex attraction, because it, it, it's relatable, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. I, and I just hope that, um, you know, my hope and prayer is that somebody would just pick this book up, and whether you completely are against God or Christianity or you're just confused or you're curious, um, wherever you're at, you know, my hope and prayer is that you would open your heart up and, you know, you would embark on this character's journey and you would ask yourself some tough questions and just open your heart. You know, there's no harm that's done by just opening up your heart and, um, and, and, and asking God, like, you know, God, who are you? You know, let him reveal himself to you. Yeah, and that's so important because I feel like, look, if I'm being real, if I'm being honest, which I always am, <laughs> um, I feel like, hey, if if being gay is the right choice and, and you feel like that's your truth, then embarking on a journey of asking yourself why, looking into religion, looking into research, that won't change the fact that being gay is your truth, you know? So there's nothing to be scared about when um, looking to God or... Uh, finding these very uncomfortable issues if that's your truth it'll be your truth you know but and you have nothing to lose 
But if it's not the truth and you know deep down inside that it's maybe not exactly what you pictured or what you wanted or you're not happy, um, then I would say embark, just embark on this journey um, of asking yourself the question, why? Why do I feel attraction towards men? And don't do it alone. Do it with the help of God. You know, call out to God um, like me and Taylor both have, obviously, to Jesus who have helped us overcome these things, these very difficult things that we're still in the process of overcoming. Um, so thank you so much, Taylor, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. On the me. podcast. <laughs> I, lo- I loved having you. And once again, go pick up a copy of his book. It, it is now out and it's called The Desire Tree. So thanks again, Taylor. And I hope for everyone who's watching this video, um, we're trying our best to try to really talk about an issue that is very difficult in today's climate and especially in our society. Um, So I hope we haven't offended anybody. Um, I don't think we have. We've personally lived these things. These are two men who have dealt with same-sex attraction um, who are now totally overcoming with the Lord, who are overcoming with Jesus, and we've put our hope in Him. So um, thank you guys for joining us on this podcast, and I hope that you guys will join us on the next episode. We'll see you then. All right, bye. Bye.